0: Welcome to another another episode of MG Rants. Uh, I'm Tana Grace, and as always, I'm joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, how you doing on this uh, fine Friday afternoon? I'm doing okay. Um, normal stuff going on here. Got the
1: commentary this weekend, which I guess by the time this comes up is will be underway. Done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really, just have my mind focused on that for now.
0: I like how you and I are both super busy with commentary recently, more than playing. Yeah, I think that's just. Uh, that's a pretty natural progression. Right. <laughs> when you get but, old, you yeah. talk instead of do.
1: Yeah. I was gonna dance around that point of it, but
0: <laughs> I'm more blunt than you are sometimes. But it's funny, like, you know, like I just did the per tour and then I did some of the NRG event last weekend. You've got one this weekend. Um I'm actually playing. In and I'm doing a tiny bit of coverage in Las Vegas for, for Flesh and Blood, but I'm also it's gonna be the first time I'm playing in a calling, which is their version of Grand Prix. For everybody yeah. at home that's like following along, it's like you know they follow the same. Sorry, what? What's a Grand Prix, Tanner? Uh, Magic Fest. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So uh, I mean, they follow the the procedure we had when we had Grand Prix, you know, feeding into Pro Tours, etc. So. Uh, Yeah, super excited about that. Speaking of flesh and blood, I got my uh, my preview cards in yesterday. If everybody at home, you know, I may have talked about this the last time you may have missed it. They do preview cards a little differently than WotC does. While we still get it the way that uh, people in Magic get it, where they send us a digital file in our email so we can, you know, post the card onto social media. Um, You know, a couple days ago, it's one of my favorite days of the of the year every time it happens. I get a uh, email from, you know, UPS or whomever it is. They send it through that you ha- you have mail coming to you from New Zealand and they literally physically ship whatever it is that your preview is to you. And they ship you the most premium version of it, too. And mine was really cool because uh, so they send it to you in like these nice little I'm showing Ross right now, these nice little envelopes that are like. Officially like done by the company where they all their cool stuff comes in these little black envelopes. They're kind of like a little collector item, too And when I grabbed it out of the the mail parcel, I was like Ross. This feels a little thick <laughs> yeah, This feels a little bigger than normal, you know something you're used to hearing and um, I opened it up and there were just two cards in it So not only did I get one preview card. I have two because they directly function with each other without giving something away and, like, one of them, they gave me, like, the extended art foil version of it, you know, which is really, really cool. Uh, and so, I'm I'm pretty excited about it, because I do think that the card they sent me is going to be a staple. So, I was, like, very excited. Like, I think my card is very good. So, I'm excited about that.
1: Always nice when you get a card that is actively good instead of, mm-hmm. like, some, you know, chaff common.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, like... You know, even uh, commons in this game they just made a commoner version of the game and i think this card's going to be busted in that <laughs> as, as well so we'll see but yeah no 100% it's nice when you're like you, you know all the cards are cool like you know my last preview card was a card that it's either a 0 or a 10 depending on like what you play it in and it hasn't really gotten played yet but it's cool in like certain decks but the big thing about it is it's like that's my card right like that's cool like i'm forever attached to it but if I ever get to like see it played on camera, like there's that extra part of like, yeah, that's really sweet, you know, that's my card kind of thing. So, uh, I was gonna say, how have you been the last week? Anything going on? Um, nothing
1: really. It's been a pretty slow week. Didn't even get any softball in because Tuesday we had an off day and then last night it rained. Um, so yeah, it's been super slow for me over here. That's why I'm really just focused on, uh, on commentary for the weekend. So uh did a good amount of cooking this week
0: which was fun. Ooh, I'm jealous. Made some made some paneer tikka masala. I saw that one and I got really really jealous. That one looked very I love paneer. So yeah,
1: I'm going to make some uh, some scallion pancakes once uh, we're <laughs> off this call. And uh and sometime over the weekend, I guess, Um, uh, I have this pasta sauce that I make pretty frequently. Uh, that's a red pepper cream sauce. Mm-hmm. This, uh, normally I just toss it with the, you know regular extruded pasta, and this time I am doing it with some cheese tortellini. So that's Oof. gonna be
0: good. Oof. I love all of these words, Ross. You are like speaking my love yeah. language right now. I think. And I've got to I've got to make my weekly uh, my uh,
1: my weekly uh, tortilla. I make a Spanish tortilla like every week because they're so okay. good. Yeah, and last week I uh, I put a whole head of roasted garlic into it.
0: And so as, one does, yeah, as one does. Yeah, I'm just going to do that again because yeah. it was delicious. I find that any recipe I get, uh, whenever it calls for X amount of garlic, I usually like double or triple the amount of garlic that it oh, tells yeah. me to do. Yeah, I just I just see that a recipe has garlic, and I'm like, okay, I will
1: add an, a Ross-appropriate amount of garlic. I don't care what the number that you have there is. I will ignore that.
0: They're not the boss. Of, they're not the boss of you. They don't get to tell you what to do. Yeah. What to do in your life, you know. You're you're the hero in your own story. You get to do yeah. whatever you want, you know. I I guess there is
1: some. Uh, I don't. There is. I guess other news for this weekend. I'm not even sure if I've told you this yet. But okay, Ooh, you, I'm excited. Uh, you you've met Christopher McCurry, right? Yeah. Yeah. He uh, he is actually moving into our house tomorrow. Right. 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 Okay. <laughs> I I kept forgetting that this was coming up so quickly. It like snuck up on me. But um, he he had been renting the the uh, bottom part of a house from some people, and they were they uh, for some reason were selling the house, so he had to move out, and so he's moving into here for a couple months, and uh, Travis is actually moving out at the end of July. He's going he's moving back to Orlando, so Chris is just going to move upstairs once Travis is out. But we're, there's going to be four of us here. For a couple months, I've kept telling Chris that I'll be around when he's moving, and I realized today that I'm doing commentary this weekend, so I just won't be.
0: (laughs) Well, you'll you'll technically be around; you just won't be available. Yeah, Um, there's a distinction. There's a distinction between the two. It's fine, but there's a distinction.
1: Fortunately, he's been moving, you know, boxes and stuff just in his car over the last month. So there's already like most of his stuff is already downstairs uh he just has to move like the, his bad like the big things that he needs a u-haul to move mm-hmm. uh and you know help moving in that i'm not going to be there for so it's going to just be him and travis i guess oops right right right, <laughs>
0: right. i mean you, you can help out when you have a, when you have a moment and stuff well i
1: mean i'm, I'm not even going to be in in this house we're doing the commentary oh. from from cory's house still actually it's going to be me okay. and brad in Corey's basement so nice i'm, I'm going to be over there nice um and I'm I'm planning on going there tonight. We're recording this on a Friday. Just, just in case
0: anybody wants to go back and watch it, what channel was that on? Um on Twitch. Is it the the Penetrators channel? Manitrators, yeah. Okay. Just for everybody at home if they wanted to go yeah. back and watch. Because I'm gonna try to watch that this weekend. Uh I have a ProQuest Saturday, which is like a PTQ that I'm playing in, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I like Popper a lot, so I like commoner versions of games, so I'm gonna definitely check it out.
1: Yeah. now Popper is sweet and uh you know, the, the metagame seems pretty coalesced around a few decks, and, and we'll see how that plays out, but um, the format has gotten a little bit less grindy than it used to be, and a little faster, which I actually kind of like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the format was a little bit too just sort of plodding, uh, you know, a couple yeah. years ago, so that we, it seems like we've reached a, a sort of critical mass of powerful, cheap cards Agreed. at Common, mm-hmm. um, and that has, has sped the format up a little bit, like... You know, like, the the best version of the Boros deck doesn't play the Monarch card anymore because it's yeah. too slow. Uh, whereas it used to that be, like, one a, of the best cards in the deck.
0: That was a big thing for the format, was Monarch being good made the format very slow and grindy and yeah. stuff. And, and, yeah, and, yeah, and now sure. the format is fast enough that, like, Monarch cards still see play, but they're not dominant. Makes sense, makes sense.
1: Uh, yeah, so, so, uh, so sorry, Chris, that I'm not going to be around to help you, you know, move your stuff in. Oops. Yeah. I, I think he's doing all the moving tomorrow on Saturday when I'm going to be gone all day. If he was doing it Sunday, like we don't start the top eight until four o'clock. So, uh, you know, if he was midday Sunday, I could have helped out. But Or tell him you'll help out a little bit on Sunday. There you go. Yeah. All right, I, all I right. mean, I don't think he has much to move. It's really just like, mm. you know, dressers and like the furniture. <laughs> um, there's a couple of couches he has to move in. Right, it's, right. It's, it's, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah.
0: All right, let's uh, kind of get into the meat of it. For this episode, we uh, reached out to the community. You may have seen it on Twitter or in our Discord. We wanted to do a mailbag episode because it's been a while since we've like directly interacted with everybody at home. And uh, this took a little pressure off me, which is, uh, you know, if, if you've been keeping up with me on social media or anything recently, I've been, A, very busy. And, B, uh, I've had something very important going on in my personal life that's kind of kept me away from, you know, keeping up with magic as much as I would have liked for the last week or two. So this makes it easy, and that's going to lead us to the first question of our mailbag episode today. This comes, from, this comes from Cathal, and it's, how is Benny doing? Uh, Benny's my dog, for everybody at home. If you, if you don't know, which I, I don't know how you wouldn't know listening to our show. So uh, I'll give a little bit of a backstory if you didn't listen to last week's episode. Um, when I got home from New Jersey doing the Pro Tour, uh, I didn't get to see my dog that, that day, because that morning she had been brought into uh, the vet. I did go visit her when I could. Uh, she'd been brought in the vet because she was shaking and something was obviously wrong with her. And since then, she's been uh, diagnosed with a autoimmune disease. And it's it was very serious. Like, I was actively worried for a long time that, you know, I might lose my dog. And uh, she had to go through a ridiculous amount of tests. They had to keep her there for multiple days, which uh, I hated. But, you know, we have to do what's best for my dog. And... um it was the first time that my dog had slept without one of her family members in like five years since she was, since she got her, uh, you know, since she was fixed, you know, uh, as, as when she was young. And um, we finally got to bring her home and, you know, we've been giving her all of her meds and on Monday, so it's Friday now, on Monday I brought her back into the vet because they needed her to come in every few days to, to test her blood. Uh, mostly the, the easiest way to say all of it is her red blood cell count was super low and it was at the point where if it got lower than what it was at, they were going to have to do a transfusion and then that's obviously not a cure and a bunch of stuff was going to go on and it was going to start getting hectic. Thankfully it went up a little bit while she was in the, at the vet, you know, in the hospital while she was there, it went up a little bit and she got a little better. So we bring her home, give her all the, you know, they're, they're like, all right, she's stable enough that you can bring her home. So we bring her home. And uh, she's mostly just, like, drugged out at the house, right? You know, she's just chilling all day long, drooling a little bit, you know, because she's taking five or six different things. And so Monday, we bring her back in, or I bring her back in, and they, they, they test her blood again to see, you know, hey, is she responding to the meds that she's been taking for, like, you know, about four or five days? So the doctor comes in, and he's like, so her red blood cell count is the same it was when she left. So she's stable, but she's not improving. And he's like, that worries me a little bit. Um, so he's like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you come back in Thursday, which was yesterday. He's like, I'm gonna have you come back in Thursday, bring her in. And if she hasn't responded to the meds by then, then we have to start doing what the next step is. And that started, that was going to be like a bone marrow biopsy and a bunch of other stuff. If you don't know what a bone marrow biopsy is, don't look it up. Just know that it's fucking awful what they have to do to a human being or an animal to do that. And it's extremely painful. And I do want my dog to have to go through that. Though, you know we we're worried maybe it's cancer or something at that point we bring her in yesterday thankfully her numbers are going up she is starting to respond to the meds and they said that's a very common thing it happens sometimes they just take a little longer to respond to the meds etc cetera, et cetera. and uh so right now the, the next thing is we bring her in you know two weeks from friday and if the numbers are good and better then then it moves to four weeks and so on and so on and if she keeps responding in about 6 months she can beat this thing. And that's the hope. Like that that is the utter hope, but I think yesterday uh so like I didn't bring her in in that morning. Um my father-in-law did. And when he said that the doctor was happy with her her improvement and everything like that, I I think it was the first time I let myself like really breathe since this happened, you know, like cuz I think I've told you this. I you know I put on a good face for it, especially around Natalie. I was like, you know, she's gonna be fine, she's gonna be fine, but in the back of my head, I'm fucking panicking. You know, like I don't want anything to happen to my to my little girl, you know, and stuff. So um it's been rough, but I'm way more optimistic than I was a couple of days ago. And I'm like very optimistic now. I'm like trying not to reconcile with things, if you know what I mean. So uh thanks for asking. I really appreciate it but well, she's doing a lot better. We're not out of the woods yet, but like we can see the clearing or whatever the, the phrase is and stuff. So um, I'm excited about that. Let's talk about stuff that's not as sad for the rest of the show. Is that a good deal? Yeah, sounds like a plan. Okay. They did actually... Cathal had another question that is magic related. Are you okay with asking answering some magic questions? I had, guess. We got a few of those today. If we have to. Yeah, there's, there's some good mixture in here too, though. I like this. Um, it says, combo decks get a lot of hate from the player base. However... I have the firm belief that a metagame with a big enough card pool without combo decks have a massive tend towards battleship styles of decks. What is your opinion on this matter? First, what do you think they mean by battleship style of decks? I
1: think they mean that mid-range arms race that is going to get into, where you're just playing, you know, bigger and bigger and pow- more powerful effects to gain an edge in long attrition games. Um... And I think I think they're exactly right. You know, combo decks provide a natural check on that type of metagame because they're able to completely ignore the style of game that you're playing. Um, because you know, Battlecruiser Magic also inherently is playing to the battlefield. So, um, you know, you're you're playing ways to interact with your opponent, remove their permanents, and playing big, powerful permanents of your own. And combo decks are very good at just ignoring that and, and, you know, playing their own game and and usually winning very easily in in matchups like that, especially when the mid-range decks become inbred. So, you know, I'm sure people know I've played many combo decks over the years and I like them and I think they are an important part of a healthy metagame. So, you know, while decks like Lotus Field get a lot of flack in Pioneer, for example, I'm pretty happy to have them exist.
0: Yeah, uh, I definitely can just agree with all of that. Uh, I know I give combo decks some hate, and it's not from the fact that like I don't think they should exist. It's not like a heuristic thing that, like, I oh, I don't like that. I, I think it's more, it's not my jam. And so it, it's more from a personal thing of, like, I just don't like them as much as other people, but I have played them before, especially when they're really busted. Um, I'm just not very good with them, and I lose to them a lot. So it's like one of those things. It's like a personal thing, like, I don't like it because it beats me. You know, yeah. <laughs> like that that kind of... The, 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 the typical thing you see in Magic a lot, we should ban that card because I lose to it a lot. Yeah. You know, that but
1: kind of... They had every card until Curious Obsession is the best deck. <laughs> yes, of
0: course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So hopefully we answered uh, that uh, I, question. I, I'll
1: also give one more point on this, and that's that the uh, it can go too far when combo decks become so easy to build and uh, and um, when i say easy i mean in terms of uh card space or deck space so that you get to surround them either with the robust backup plans or an interactive game plan so you get that sort of combo control or aggro combo hybrid that works really well. Those decks are very oppressive and those are problematic. So the combo decks that are part of healthy metagames are ones that are very linear, very all-in. And, you know, maybe they have some, you know, sort of resilient aspects like, you know, Field could generate a bunch of mana and wish for an Ugin, you know, and sometimes win games with an Ugin. Like, that's fine. But, um, you know, it has to be, you know, Pretty significantly uh, towards the all-in side of the spectrum. Otherwise, things pretty quickly degenerate.
0: Agreed. Okay. Um, Tang wants to know how, if at all, do you see yourselves participate in the new OP system? I'm going to kind of double up on this one. I can't do this every time, but I'm I'm trying to keep up with like the Discord and Twitter. But uh, one of our first questions on Twitter was from Britto Candio himself. He says, "Do you plan on playing whatever the new ProTor qualifiers are?" When they happen, so these these two questions kind of roll into each other. You know, how do you see yourselves op- operating with the OP system? Uh, do you want to go first?
1: Sure. I mean, I see myself playing a significant number of events. I think my rate, my travel radius, is not going to be as large as it once was, um, and I'll have other commitments of my time, whether it's you know uh, streaming or doing commentary and things like that. So you know, I might miss tournaments here and there for those reasons uh so I certainly won't be on the road as often as I was five six seven eight years ago but I will
0: definitely be an active participant uh my answer is going to be very very similar to Ross's I think I'm going to be an active participant time permitting right like you know my first flesh and blood comes first right now right you know like that's a career defining kind of thing I've got going on um you know like we have a our next part tour tours in Lille France and like if they want me to go, I'm gonna go, and so I'm gonna be gone for probably at least seven days, you know, with that kind of thing going on, and you know, some of the events that will take precedent over Magic, but I'll be playing the local stuff. Um, my radius is probably a little bigger than yours when it comes to certain things, but I'm used to that, right? Like I have to go further usually for stuff because you know Baton Rouge always isn't a mecca for for competitive Magic, right? You know, like you could go one or two states around you, and there's just tons of stuff going on around you, right? Within me, it's like. There's like one thing in Texas and then I have to go all the way to Atlanta, you know, and these are eight hour drives. So, um, you know, hopefully, yeah, I do make it back to the pro tour. That would be, that would be amazing. It's been quite a while since I've played on it. It's been since PT 25, uh, the 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 25th anniversary, not the 25th pro tour. Um, you know, I don't. Which is
1: m- more recent than I played, right? I, I played London, which was right before that. I think the the one before that or something like that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, said, no, before- because that was still when it was an MC
0: yeah I, I had some pretty big gaps towards the end of my career like between that one I think the one before that I went to was like years before which was like probably i think um what was which Spain was that it was um Valencia, Barcelona Val- Valencia yeah I think of Valencia was the one before that and then you know I took some some time off and stuff et cetera but uh i do I do see myself participating in the op system quite a bit um if it ever, especially if it ever gets around a limited if it ever gets around the limited I'm I'm i will go a lot further. Don't hold your breath, tannin Yeah, I'm I'm aware, <laughs> um, and that kind of stuff. So we'll see. uh You get to take a second off here, Ross, because the uh, the next question from Chase is this one is just for tannin I suppose. But now that Flush and Blood has had its first pro tour event, what are some of the things you'd like to see done differently or improved in the future regarding OP? Do do you have an answer, Ross? Did you want to? <laughs> uh, no, actually. <laughs> He, like, I actually thought about it for a second. Everybody at home, when I asked this question, Ross actually contemplated for about half a second. I saw it. He's like, What smart ass thing can I say here? <laughs> I <laughs> couldn't come up with one, Tannen. Okay, are you yeah. happy now? No, no, I wasn't calling you out. I was like, At least the effort was there. I approve, uh, you know, I approve. I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, things I want to see differently and improve in the future regarding opes. I have to be very careful in what I say here because, you know, obviously, I While I'm not completely behind the curtain, I do get to peek behind the curtain quite a bit with with what I'm doing within that game. Um, For improvements in the future regarding OP, they need to improve a few of the back-end things, like rating in this game. Like, we have an ELO rating, like you do in Magic, and it's a little little funky and stuff right now. And the way they're giving out invites with that kind of stuff, it's going to be Old Boys Club, I think, a lot in the future, whereas in, like the people who got in that way, it's going to be very hard for them to to be supplanted, kind of like the MPL was. And I don't... Like, while that's actually good for your game in some instances, especially early, like, yeah, all the OG players that have put in all the time and effort get rewarded, right? Like, they get to go to the pro tours, and if they're doing well, they get to stay. Like, that's great. But the people who are really getting into it now, you don't want to create that barrier for entry where you can't make it, which I think is one of the... If we can learn anything from the MPL, or one of the things that we need to learn from the MPL is... That was one of the core problems, in my opinion, is I was bombarded with things of the MPL, right? Like, watch this thing every weekend. We want you to engage with it, watch it, get really into it. But you can never do this. You can never be part of this. And, like, that's a huge problem for me. Because, like, you know, something I didn't say about, you know, the OP thing that we were talking about before this with Magic That's how I identify with magic, right? I identify with magic at playing it at its highest level, at like trying to make the pros, or being super competitive, right? That's, That's magic to me. I know that's not for everyone, but it is for me. And so when that comes back in a way that I can not only identify with it, but participate in it, then I'm gonna do it, right? As long as I'm physically capable of being there and doing it, I will. And so I don't want that to ever become a problem in Flesh and Blood. Other than that, it's little small things that we need to iron out. I think our first pro tour went very very well. The company was extremely happy of what we did. You know, we just have to a you know, make sure we don't sit on our laurels, right? You don't want to rest on your laurels, right? Is, that, is the way to say it. You don't want to Yeah. You don't want to be like, "Oh, we're great and we never have to change. We never have to improve." That's you you know me. I always want to be better. I always want to be the hardest working guy in the room when it comes to these things. Like I'm gonna keep doing better, I'm gonna keep being better, and I'm gonna make everyone around me do the same. And then we can improve some on-site stuff probably too, like, you know, I want a viewing area in the future for people to watch uh, the future matches, you know, preferably as far away from the matches as possible, so, like, no instances of anything wrong can occur, and then maybe a slightly bigger venue because we had to turn people away from some of the events like we actually just capped on some of them, and I'm like, I don't want that in the future, I want these events to be huge, humongous, you know, and stuff like that, so little things, Nothing too drastic, but really cool stuff, so I'm excited for that. Um, this one comes from Gold. I'll let you answer this one first, Ross. Are you guys still as passionate about Pioneer as when it first started, or has some of the newness worn off? Um Yeah, I mean I think
1: that's pretty natural for it to to taper off to some extent. I do still think the format is great. You know, outside of that of the six months in twenty twenty when Watsy let the format languish under Inverter, I think the format's always been pr- been pretty good. You know, we had that opening month where, you know, broken decks were being found every week, and we had to, you know, ban a bunch of them. But honestly, like, that was still kind of fun, because you never, you know, like, each week it was like, oh, what, what's going to be the new thing? Uh, and it was a new puzzle to solve every single week. So, uh, and we knew that that was only a temporary, you know, uh, you know, Time period to establish a reasonable ban list in an organic way. Uh and you know, right now we've got uh you know Ledger Shredder making a major impact and still have a fairly diverse metagame uh with aggro decks, mid-range decks, combo decks, control decks all represented. I think aggro has actually taken a little bit of a hit from uh Wynoda being so good. So that that's actually the one deck that I would I have an eye on, and it's not that it's like Super powerful. It's a, I think it is suppressing a lot of the other aggressive strategies in the metagame because it itself is so powerful. Um, but yeah, like you know, you're never going to have that same you know level of excitement that we did in October of 2019 when the formats announced, and you know we're all going nuts over it and. Uh, you know, we get to put our brewing caps on and revisit all of these old cards that we used to play with and have such fond memories of and see if, the, if they still hold up. You know, at this point, we figured out that, you know, most of them don't hold up because that's how magic works. Um, but I, I do still think the format is great.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely just agree with everything you said here. I know we we're agreeing a lot, but I, mean, I don't know how you could put it better. Like, you know, the, the format's a little older, right? You know, the the shine has worn off a little bit, right? Like, you it's like that toy on Christmas morning. You play with it a ton, but, you know, come March or whatever, are you, are you playing on that toy all day, every day? Probably not, you know, so, um, and there's been, you know, there's been growing pains. There's There's been some stuff going on, but, uh, you know, everything comes back around, and I feel like there's been some reinvigorment, I think, a, a, a little bit recently with, you know, Pioneer coming back in the limelight quite a bit uh, recently, and it being the first Pro Tour format, I think it's going to be great. I can't wait to see what they do with the format, if they do anything to change it, because while I think the format is playable, I do disagree with you. I don't I'm not sure if I would say good. And I have a like a personal qualm about the format, and I think it's gonna get it's 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 because I condense the format down to the way I see it as a competitive player, and while there I do think there's a lot of decks that people are playing, the problem that I have is. And I think you're going to see this more at top-level play when, like, you're you're 100% incentivized to win as much as possible. So, like, say, at, like, the Pro Tour, you're going to see less decks getting played. And then most of the decks that you're going to see getting played are not going to interact with each other. I think you're going to see a lot of people just trying to nut-draw each other. And it's going to look like Modern did for a while, where I didn't really enjoy what was going on. Or it's just like, well, my, turn, my deck's a turn-three deck. Well, my deck's a turn-four deck, so I guess I lose kind of thing. So, we'll see you know, when all that works out. So uh, maybe I'm being a little too doom and gloom. I don't think it's like awful, but we'll have to see. uh Catatog and Walrus asked, general thoughts on the Pioneer meta, anything standing out specifically strong, or especially overrated. So like I kind of answered that question a little bit here. It's why I'm calling this one next. The thing that's standing out to me that I wanted to talk about, and I got to see a decent bit of this while I was doing coverage for the Energy event. And I've kind of been like following the decks a little bit. If you haven't seen the red, blue prowess deck, that's been being played quite a bit lately with like Ledger Shredder and uh, Dorat the Perfect Pet. We always joke about this. What's it called? Sprite Dragon and some other stuff. That's a deck that interacts a little bit with the opponent and their creatures and stuff that I think actually has some legs. I like that deck a lot. I like a lot of the cards in it. It looks really sweet and it's very powerful when it gets going. So yeah. I like that deck a lot. And so I think that can shake up some stuff.
1: I've always thought that Boros Heroic was a kind of mediocre deck, but Reckless Rage was such a good removal spell that it really elevated it, and the the is it prowess deck gets to play Reckless Rage because all the prowess creatures and um, and Ledger Shredder survive it, and you know Adoran survives it a lot of the time uh, as well. So uh, the the fact that it is a, a good aggressive deck that has a lot of card manipulation to increase consistency, and you know uh, has a good clock and some really really good removal. I mean Reckless Rage is just awesome. So. Yeah, that, that deck is excellent. Lotus field, I think, is perennially underrated because people have a natural bias against combo decks. Um, overrated. I don't really understand why the Rakdos midrange deck wins. Like, it, I think it a lot of it stems from it having really good graveyard interaction in a format where a lot of the decks use the graveyard to some extent. But it just seems like a dopey midrange deck in a format full of really powerful things. So, uh, but you know, you know me, I also have an, an innate bias against
0: dopey mid-range decks so Mm. nice all right this one's a interesting one jpa 35 says if you could give your early 20s self one piece of advice what would it be do you want me to go first or do you want to go first yeah you can go first so like there's always the the answer here about financial stuff right like hey invest more or buy stock in tesla or something you know the obvious get rich thing but no i think it would be more of like, don't worry so much about what other people think and pleasing other people and just become more comfortable with yourself. I definitely like myself a lot more in my 30s than I did in 20s. And it wasn't like I disliked myself. It's just I was in my personal thing, like what I was, I was definitely like more of a pushover and I definitely tried to please everyone around me at all times. And I expended a lot of energy doing that. And I think if I could go back and tell myself, hey, like, chill a little bit, live in the moment a little bit more, enjoy what's going on more i I think i would have enjoyed stuff and that's a very like general answer more of the instead of the specific stuff like again invest in tesla or something you know like to get rich because like obviously anyone would do that but just in a way to make myself better that's the first thing that popped into my mind oh yeah
1: i have a pretty similar answer um and it would be to not compare yourself to other people Yeah. Instead, like compare yourself to who you were, you know, yesterday or the week before or whatever. So always focus on self-improvement and, you know, being better than you were and and competing with yourself as opposed to saying, you know, I want to be better than everyone around me um, because that really just leads to a lot of very unhealthy behavior.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point, too. I, I like that one a lot. I think I, we all compare ourselves to other people too much. It has it has a lot to do with social media and people posting, you know, the 99th percentile of their life only. And you, <laughs> yeah. you compare that to your, like, 20th percentile, and you're like, man, my life sucks when it's actually better than you think it is. Not trying to say, not trying to dismiss any struggle anybody has. But uh, sketches asks, what is your favorite part about making the podcast? Honestly, it gives me an excuse to run into Ross every week. That's literally my favorite thing is I get to talk to Ross every week.
1: Yeah. It's a nice time for us to like, you know, even just catch up and, uh, you know, stay connected. And that was something that we had lost, uh, you know, shortly after the podcast began, you know, and even in 2019, like you, you weren't traveling nearly as much. So we didn't see each other on the road at tournaments that often when we started it. So yeah, completely agree.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Let's see here. This is from Brent Wagner, our lovely editor. Do uh, Ross Tannen still hate four color control, or do you now prefer four color elementals of Yorion? I don't think I ever hated it. I just like always had this weird thing about the deck, but I do think the four color elementals is a very, very good deck from what I've been watching and seeing lately. So
1: to be clear, when I was railing against this deck, that was before the Luris ban. And the metagame is very different post Uh What happened was the you know lyrus decks were able to be much more all in and not really care about having elements in their sixty that would benefit them in longer games. At least not many. You know, like Grixis, think of Grixis Death Shadow. This is the primary example, a deck that has really you know disappeared post lyrus Um, yeah, and I, I, you know, I thought that that was going to be a deck that that most suffered of all of the Lurrus decks. And, and, you know, even Hammer Time has suffered a lot. And it's because, you know, they were able to be a lot more all-in, make sure that they were putting more pressure on their opponents because they knew that Lurrus was always there to back them up. You know, it's not just that, like, Lurrus is a powerful card, it's that you literally had one every single game. So it was like you were playing, you know, 12 of them. Because you just always found it. Uh, and so you you got to put more slots towards you know, punishing people who stumbled and the four color decks are prone to stumbling. and so it, it seemed very easy to punish them. Now post lyris, much, much harder to punish those decks because all of the Lurist decks have to now start incorporating different elements to win longer games, and that's exactly what Four-Color wants them to do. It wants the metagame to slow down because it knows that it's going to have the advantage in these long games. It's the best Battlecruiser deck. Um, so, uh, you know, I didn't call it at the time, but in hindsight, it was n- not that difficult to see a rise of Four-Color in a post luris world. Um, so I, I, I no longer am mystified of the deck's success um and, and uh, as long as you know we don't have any you know major shakeups it will certainly be a top deck
0: yeah absolutely um back to some of the questions from Twitter this is from Austin Olette what is the biggest piece of advice you would give someone who has hit a slump in their results for magic uh, a couple things uh you may experience some burnout so you might need to take a step back for a little bit um, it could be the other way around if you're like not putting in enough volume, like you're probably not going to see the results you want because you're not playing enough. So there's like, you know, both ends of that spectrum, but try not to tie self worth into it, into how you do with magic, especially if you're not playing like a ton or whatever. Cause like you're again, like if you're playing a deck that you're good at and it is a good deck, if you play it enough events, like you're going to do well at some point in time, but like you're going to also have dud tournaments. It's just the way it is. Um, take a step back, reassess yourself, reassess what you're doing. Because I find a lot of times when like you know I go through a losing session of like magic or poker or something like that, like yeah, there's variance and there's luck, but like I might actually be doing something wrong somewhere too. Like I might be personally messing up, and you need to just be honest with yourself and try to figure that out.
1: Yeah, uh, that last part was really what what I would say is f- focus less on results and more on process. So, you know. It's easy to say, you know, I won this game. I'm sure I think I played played well, but, you know, think over even the times that you're doing well and try to find holes that you that you can patch up. Uh, and, you know, when you evaluate a tournament, it shouldn't be I had this record or I finished in this place. It should be, you know, how well do I think I played? Did my, Were my metagame predictions on point? How good do I think my list was? Like, would I have changed a lot of cards from it? And, you know, uh, how well did I sideboard? All those things. Those are the questions that you should be asking yourself after tournaments. And even if you went 0-2 drop, if you think you played those two rounds well and you think your deck was good, then you should be happy with that and move on. Because, like Tannen said, you're going to have bad tournaments even when you play well and have a good deck. And you're going to have good tournaments sometimes even when you don't play as well because this is a game with a significant amount of variance so you have to account for that in the way you approach your Mm self-evaluation
0: uh craig of canada has a couple questions that might take a little bit so you're um you're made the kings of magic tomorrow this sounds great actually uh you're tasked with introducing five quote non-pro players into the magic hall of fame who would they be uh the first one would be for me like off the top of my head is brian david marshall yeah yeah that's easy uh i'm trying to think of whom else right rich hagan probably uh, yeah M- marshall sutcliffe marshall sutcliffe definitely um uh, Mar- maria C- bartholdi yes C- cedric phillips patrick sullivan in, in, in as non-players you know, yeah. like nothing against their careers. It's just like they did not have Hall of Fame magic careers. But I think what they've accomplished for the game and then it's, it's controversial as this is. Maybe some of the, the people high up at Watsy deserve it. Like, you know, like Morrow, like for, you know, all yeah. the, the grief we give them and the mistakes they make. I mean, they've definitely steered a ship pretty damn well for the almost 30 years that it's been around. You know, you could all- also uh,
1: maybe uh, artists like, you know, oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, RK Post, Rebecca Gouet. I'm, people have been there. I'm just since naming one. magic artists. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any particular affinity towards any of them, but I'm yeah. sure there are some that are that are particularly popular.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and- for sure. Um, yeah, like I mean, I'm sure there's some some people we're missing, but off the top of my head, just just people like that who have had large, wide arcing impact on the game, but didn't like win a pro tour right because there's a lot of people that have had a lot of impact in the game and maybe even more than some pros Tour champions it's not taking anything away from being a pro tour champion just saying that like there's more to the game than winning actual games of yeah. magic matt, matt Tayback, the, the the rules guy at watsy whoever really pushed commander like probably deserves to be in the hall of fame because i mean that is the the way to play the game now you know they've fundamentally change the game D- different judges high level judges we oh, could get yeah, them in the magic definitely. hall of Fame. yeah definitely definitely
1: um yeah so there's a million like we could go, we could we could come yeah. up with a list of 50 not you know not to mention yeah. five um so it be hard to pare it down but yeah there's plenty of you know especially nowadays when the magic eco- ecosystem is so much larger than the organized play system there uh you know cosplayers there's another group of people that you, you could very easily recognize
0: Um, I mean, there's, there's so, I mean, I'm sure we're missing something. There's so many people that deserve this recognition, right?
1: People who have helped popularize cube, um, you know, whoever, you know, ran the dojo back in the day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, right? and you know, whoever runs like major cube and, and commander websites today, uh, Mm -hmm. T- t- tell me when to stop because I'm sure we can keep going. Sure. All
0: right. Well, the next question is is like uh, in the similar veins. So let's move on so we get some of that and done. Uh It's from Craig as well. You're tasked with designing the next two secret layers one one worth a n- one with a new IP and one using Magic existing cards. What IP would you use for one? And theme f- would you use for the other? I thought about this for like a second. I'm not sure about the theme of like actual Magic that I would use, but I think the IP that I would use is Marvel which is, like, I'm surprised it hasn't happened, but maybe there's just, like, no interest on one side or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I've already got, like, one of the cards in my head, because here's the thing. If you did Marvel, I'd get it right away, because, like, I'm a, I'm a huge sucker for Marvel. I love the stuff. But, like, when I think of, like, Karn the Great Creator as Iron Man, like, as Tony Stark or something like that, or, like, maybe a flip card where you have, like, Tony Stark and then he turns into Iron Man as a flip card, like, that's just really cool, because, you know, that's been my favorite character since I was a child, and stuff. I would love... To see that crossover and how they would do it, it would be pretty cool. Do you have a particular IP you'd like to see? I know you're not super into yeah, this stuff, but I'm not a Secret Layer person. Um, do you, do you secret Layer Utah Jazz or something like? Yeah.
1: Well, like even things that I <laughs> yeah. like, like yeah, I would course. be, you know, chomping at the bit to buy a Secret okay. Layer of them. That
0: uh, you know, this is not a me question. Sure. And then from existing Magic stuff, I'm not. Like, I'm not creative enough when it comes to this. Like, can you think of one of, like, an existing magic thing that you would like to see as a secret layer? Like, I'm trying to think what I'd like to see. Maybe we can come back to this later in the show when we've had a little more time to think about it. But I don't even know what they've done secret layers of in the past. Mm-hmm. This, this uh, is an aspect of, ma- <laughs> sure. of magic
1: that I have largely
0: ignored. Yeah. Uh, there was a question from Vinny MTG on here, and we'll come back to this if we have time. Uh, later because it's like i would love to hear some baseball thoughts specifically in l e stuff from Tannen, we'll try to get to that let's uh let's let's go to the next one um the buffalo chicken dip legacy i'm sure you've have you heard of this they're I have no idea what that is. Yeah, they, they do an open, and I'm just going to mention this because they mentioned this they there. When are you booking your trip and entry for the Buffalo Chicken Dip Chicken Dip Legacy Open happening 11-12-22 at Brew Dog Brewery and Hotel in Columbus, Ohio? If you need info, info, it can be found here, and they have a Google Drive thing. I will book my trip and entry when you want me to uh, DM me. I'll come out there, pay for my trip, pay for my entry, or put me in the booth, whatever. Yeah, I'll come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As soon as somebody else is writing the check. Yeah. <laughs> like we'll see. I mean, that's uh it's like practically my birthday. That's that's a long way from here. This is, you know, November 12th. Um I haven't booked out that far and I would have to make sure it doesn't, you know, uh c- conflict with something I, that I I do know. like
1: Columbus and the fact that like- the NRG
0: is going to newark Ohio instead of
1: Columbus, mm-hmm. Ohio irked me. Yeah.
0: yeah. I I mean, I can get to Columbus. I like buffalo, I like chicken, and I like dips. So, like, I like buffalo chicken dips. So, uh, yeah, maybe. So, uh, this one comes from uh, Proctor on Twitter. What do players like Tan or Tom Ross do know about playing aggro decks that make them so much better than others? What is the secret to playing aggro? I can tell you this from experience with Tom. He is... The single most best at one particular thing that I've ever seen. He is the best I've ever seen at attacking while losing. He's he will find ways to win games that he's losing that I think other people who are playing Aggro decks cannot. You know the typical trope of like Mono Red being a uh, a brain dead deck that like you just give the new player because it's Mono Red anyone can win with Mono Red. A that's utter bullshit. The deck's extremely hard to play. I've played it at high-level events and, like, m- messed up multiple times. I think the deck is very difficult to play correctly and to play well. And I have seen Ross, Tom Ross win games that I do not think other people could win. And it amazes me at how he's just so good at that. And it's just putting in a lot of time and effort into those decks and finding the small edges, right? And one thing that you can definitely see from Tom Ross and Li Shi Chan is they're willing to be wrong. So like you look at their card choices, and it's not just your typical like here's a good one drop, here's a good two drop, here's some good burn spells, here's some lands. Go right, like they played cards that other people didn't think were playable, and did it to great success. So they're willing to put in the time and the effort that it takes to be good at aggro, and that's the secret to playing aggro. Uh,
1: yeah, I think that um, I agree with with all of that. I'll add for Tom at least because you know I've played you with him. Played a lot. with them a lot, yeah. Um, (laughs) I think one of the things that really elevates Tom, and this is, this is the kind of little thing that takes you from great to elite. Um, so this is like, this is really, it's a minor thing. And I would, I'll, I'll get to the, some of the lower level things that, um, you should be focusing on first. And it's that Tom, I I think is world-class at playing his opponent and knowing the kinds of things that his opponents are going to respect. So, he will play differently against Reduke than he plays against an average person at an open because he knows the kinds of things that Reduke is going to pick up on um, that maybe other players won't. And he knows the kinds of things that mid level players are going to respect. And so, he takes every inch that his opponents give him and will sometimes make attacks that, you know, if his bluff gets called, he's screwed but he is confident that his, his opponent is not going to do it. And, you know, I've seen Tom get some of his bluff's called. It's not like he's perfect, right? Right. Um, right? But I think on the balance, he's gaining an edge over other people in making the, the plays that he's making. Um, as far as, you know, how an average player can get better at aggressive decks, I think most people play aggressive decks a little bit too blindly aggressive, they Agreed. they Agreed. yeah they they think like if I don't win the game by turn six I'm gonna lose and I think it's the the key that you have to realize is that you you always want to be the person applying pressure that that's true right and pe- people misinterpret that a little bit and get to this point where they're they're trying to apply the maximum amount of pressure all the time. And that often leaves you open to, you know, counterplays that completely decimate your position and let the opponent turn the corner. And what is meant by being the person that is applying pressure means you never want to let your opponent turn the corner. You never want to give them that window. So that's the point at which the game turns. And you have to know the matchups to know what kinds of things your opponent is trying to do to turn the corner and take control of the game. And, you know, yeah, sometimes it is worthwhile to take the risks um, and, you know, not play around the sweeper, as a canonical example. Uh, and sometimes, you know, you have the ability to play around it. So uh, I think a lot of it is is knowing what you can and can't play around and playing around the things that you can and not playing around the things that you can't. Um, but the way most people, you know... Tactically, play their aggressive decks, they're playing too aggressive and opening themselves up a little bit too much because they just think that's what aggressive decks do. And then they're prone to blaming the deck, just being like, Yeah, like I, I can't ever beat a supreme verdict with my aggro deck. Like, well, I mean, you, you could if maybe you built your deck a little differently or held back a little bit more and you know, did these little things and committed to winning some games on turn eight or nine instead of winning them on turn four every time. So, uh, you know, in general, I think that's where most people need to shift in terms of their uh, gameplay tactics. But there's some really high-level stuff when it comes to aggressive decks, like I mentioned earlier, that the the really elite players do. And and that's the, you know, like I said, the stuff that separates great from elite, not just good from great.
0: Very, very important stuff from Ross there. All right, this one comes from Kelby Fetter. How long until the unrebranding And you become the Pioneer Podcast again. As Pioneer Podcast co host, would you ban anything at Pioneer? Uh, For the unrebranding, um, soon. (laughs) Trademark. soon. So that could be any amount of time. And then uh, as Pioneer Podcast co host, would you ban anything at Pioneer? I would love, I mean, like, again, we need to think, see what happens this year, you know, with like the high level Pioneer play. You know, maybe some stuff happens that, you know, we're not super into, but. Off the top of my head, I wouldn't mind seeing a couple of the the top 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 cards possibly going and seeing what happens from there. Like you know, I'm thinking like Winota and Lotus Field, and like see if like the format uh, goes the way that kind of I feel like they wanted it to. But you know, maybe we don't need to do that. We'll have to see when the real high level of it starts to play. Yeah, uh,
1: Winota is the only card that I would really um, have on my watch list right now, and. I think with the emergence of the Is It Prowess deck, with these four main deck Reckless Rages, Winota is going to have a hard time with it. And that's all, you know, just by existing as another good aggressive deck, Is It Prowess is canceling out my main reason for wanting Winota out of the format, is, you know, suppressing other aggressive decks and, and uh, narrowing that range of the metagame. Um, so while I would have been much more gung ho about banning Winota pre Ledger Shredder than I am now. Uh, so now it's much more of a wait and see, but that's the only car that would is even on my watch list. You know, I said earlier, I, I like Lotus Sweet. field.
0: Sweet. Uh, this is from Yeoman five. What's up Yeoman. Uh, what sport do you not follow, but wish you had time to uh, for me recently, it's probably been golf. I've been getting back into playing a little bit myself and I haven't really been following it as much. Uh, I don't know if that's because I've like outgrown watching it or something or whatever, or just it has to do with time and not having cable that might want to do with it. And then, I've always wanted to try hockey. I just don't know if I could get into it.
1: Um, mine is actually tennis. I, I followed it pretty closely for the last like, let's say 20 years um, for about yeah like the 2000s and 2010s, really since the pandemic hit since 2020, I just haven't followed it as much. Um, and it's one of those things where like uh, a lot of things happen like during the day when I'm trying to do other things. You get some night matches, especially at, at major events, but then I got to figure out like when everyone is playing, and there's just a lot more onus on me to try to watch the matches I want, as opposed to. Uh, and I think it's because it's you know not as popular here, so the, the information just isn't as readily available. And uh, Federer's been out injured and is you know super old now, and probably isn't competing for another major. That's put a little bit of a damper on it for me, but I do like some of the young guys. Like uh, I like uh, I like Medvedev a lot, I like Poss a lot. Uh, there's this new uh, Spanish kid who's you know one of the favorites at the French open this year at 19 um, uh, I'll i there's an it starts ALC and there's a V somewhere in his name sure <laughs> Al Savaro I think is is his name that sounds right sure <laughs> yeah uh, it, uh, I think his first name is Carlos I'm not sure on that uh, so don't don't quote me on that but it'd be cool and the French open is going on now but like if the French open uh, matches uh, all get played in the morning here because it's after, you know, they're late morning into the afternoon in France. Um, so if I want to watch them live, I've got to be up super early in the morning, which I never am because I'm a night owl. So I could watch them on like, you know, replay later in the day, but I don't know. I just have, I've just fa- sort of fallen out of it. Um, and I kind of want to get back into it because there, we're really starting to see the changing of the guard from the, the old generation. You know, you know, Nadal Djokovic is still great. Federer, who knows maybe you know maybe he'll pull like a, a jack nicholas and in, in, what is it 86 when he won the masters at 46 uh do something crazy like that get one more that would be really awesome to see um but uh we're, we're starting to see the young guys r- really take over and some of them are, are really good medvedev is he reminds sure. me a lot of uh juan martin del potro both have okay. that lanky easy power
0: I, t- I totally understood that reference. I, I did not.
1: I did not. Sure. 2009 yeah. U.S. Open champion, Juan Martín Del Potro? Sure. Exactly. Right. He, yeah. He he came on, uh, I think he was 21 that year, and like crushed the hardcourt season over the summer, and then beat Federer in the 09 U.S. Open final, coming back from down two sets to love, uh, and everybody thought he was going to be the next big thing, and then he just had a rash of injuries for like a decade straight. It was, a lot of it was in his wrists, but then there were a few more. Um, so, you know, never really had the opportunity to live up to the hype, which is unfortunate, but he was super fun to watch. I like I liked
0: Topotra. Mm-hmm. Sure. Alright, Parth was the next question from uh, Twitter and they wanted to know, do you prefer high powered or low-powered formats? Is it different for constructed versus limited?
1: Uh I think in general I would air low power, but I, I think power level doesn't have a super high correlation with how much I enjoy a format, but a, a slightly uh, negative correlation, um, I guess, because I, I, like, I like Popper Cube more than I like Regular Cube, for example, and I don't really like Vintage Cube all that much, um, you know, Power Cube, uh, and I think that's the, like the, it's that's sort of like the easiest comparison to me, uh, even though, you know, cubes can have a, a pretty significant, significant amount of variance, but in general, um, and I also am a fan of like, you know, limited and sealed deck because, the, uh, or draft and sealed deck and those things are, our lower powered formats. Uh, but they're so different than constructed that it's sort of hard to compare. Um, in, in that case, one of the reasons I like those formats is that there's a little bit less homework, you know, when you put, when you're preparing for a constructed event, it's like learning all of the different you know, major archetypes. And yeah, there's some of that in limited, but a lot there's a lot more on the fly, you know, thinking and a lot of more, I think, unique situations that come up. And, and that's what I enjoy about it, um, which doesn't really like, you know, have much to do with the power level of the format. But sure. in general, I would say slight preference towards lower power.
0: Uh, same answer, uh, definitely unlimited. I like lower power because I want to actually like play the games out. The problem is a lot of limited formats even if you get to play the games out your opponent like plays a rare on like turn seven and you die right you're like i don't have a removal spell or whatever um low-powered formats are generally a little less like flashy especially like for coverage you you don't have the big cards that revolve around it but if you look in the past like some of the quote-unquote better formats have had decks that like that were good that weren't inherently broken but like all the cards together made very good decks and made for better formats in my opinion instead of like one or two hinge cards really like you know you didn't have oko right you didn't have fires like you know just being like if they draw this card and play it on curve like i'm probably going to lose right or i need to be doing the same kind of thing or i can't keep up so definitely mostly agree with you um chris crisis i think is the name of this person on twitter they said how much longer will magic be a thing what will it be like in 20 years if still around i think magic will be a thing as long as they want it to they have to like drastically mess up to kill Magic. What it's going to be like in 20 years, I don't know. I mean, I would assume it's going to be very digital and way less paper in 20 years from now. But, I mean, like, let's see. You know, we're moving back to paper being a bigger thing now, because they've seen that's kind of where their bread is buttered, but yeah, not sure.
1: Magic is going to be a thing. It's making more money for them than ever. The question, like, the, the so it's definitely going to exist. That's you know not a question at all. What what exactly it looks like? Much more interesting question. And I think we're seeing the move now towards overlap with lots of other IPs. I think you're going to see magic exist in other media spaces. You know, we've heard for years about this development of a Netflix show or a movie. I can't even remember. Maybe both. It's like, Netflix. Yeah. yeah I. Uh, but is it a show or a movie?
0: it's a it's going to be an episodic show i'm pretty positive okay
1: so uh Could so like be, a short you know like a queen's gambit kind of thing
0: yeah it's so i'm pretty sure it's going to be about the gate watch with gideon being the main character and the voice for gideon is going to be brandon routh who was superman in superman returns he was like the adam on cw for a very long time and he was adam shaw on chuck he was. I recently rewatched Chuck. By the way, so did still I. it still it still holds up. God, that show is great. I,
1: I watch. I rewatched it like two months ago. Uh,
0: same. How did we? We were probably doing it the same time I <laughs> We probably should have just like had some mandates. Uh, yeah,
1: with it. Um But I, I think you're going to see a lot more of that. You're going to see you know overlap, you know, cross promotions with all these other things, and uh you're going to see magic become a more ubiquitous part of. You know, nerd pop culture because it's growing in popularity. People really like the lore behind it. And, and so I think you're going to see a lot more emphasis on, you know, Watsy monetizing that lore in other spaces. Um, and, and so, you know, whether you like that or not, you know, that's the direction Magic is going. You're going to continue to see Commander or, and Cube and. You know, maybe 20 years from now, there'll be another super popular casual format that people have invented and um, and, and th- th- that grows over time. And I think you'll see a, a, you know, diminished OP system, you know, similar to what we have now that, you know, exists to satisfy the people that, you know, want to play at a competitive level, but does not allow for a professional class of Magic players.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Gene Pucky asks, which printings hurt Magic the most and why? What aspect needs to change? I've got a couple answers to this. Uh, One that I think hurts Magic a lot is the Pringling issue kind of thing that we've had recently, and that just comes down to card stock. Uh, It's definitely decreased over the last few years. You can just see that as a product in general. The actual cards itself are made worse. And I think that has a lot to do with just the amount of cards that are coming out, which I think hurt the game a tiny bit. Just too much is too much, right? But then, like, I think about specific products like more magic is good, right? Like, you know, there's stuff for commander players. Now there's stuff for competitive players, whatever the things that I think have hurt the game the most recently are the the sets that like I just kind of can't wrap my heads around and don't get And these seem excessive money grabbing. And I think they're going to hurt the game because like you're draining people's wallets too much for products that aren't great. The two that immediately come to my mind are the new commander set that's about to come out, like Commander Legends whatever it's called. I think that set's awful. Like, I'm not a commander player, but like, I do not see cards in it like worth behind the packs. They're priced higher than normal packs. And when I look at the the version of this that came out before, it had like, you know, mana drain and like, i, I there was some other card. I, I literally mana drains the one on the top of my head, but there was like four or five cards on top of it that were like the uh, d- uh vampiric tutor it's so, a bunch of like. You open this up, this is worth money, right? And that's just to name, like a couple cards. There's a ton more. Plus, the set itself it set was good. The self—it's the set itself was good, right? But when I look at it now, I'm like, do people actually want? Some? I'm sure they want some of these cards, but like, there's no reason to really buy boxes. Like, you should. This is a set where you should just be buying singles, like in my opinion. And then the double feature from Innistrad, I think, is the worst product they've ever produced, or one of the worst products they've ever produced.
1: Yeah, I can see all that. I don't have like super strong opinions on individual product, but I very much agree with your point that they're you know releasing too much total product, and uh, you know I'm sure that they have numbers that you know say otherwise. And given how you know popular things are, it's nice to you know I'm sure it's probably better for them to have a variety of things. But I, I over time, it's going to be um, you know. Um, it's gonna oversaturate the playing player base, I guess. Yeah, that's the way I want to put it. Um, and it's, it's gone to the point where I've stopped trying to, you know, I mean, I've, I've never kept that much up with supplementary products anyway. Like, I'll check in just to sort of see, like, are any of these cards gonna affect legacy? And now legacy isn't even really a thing, uh, especially for me. Um, but you know, we even have things like you know, Modern Horizon sets as, as supplemental products, and um, uh, you know, we're going to probably have a Pioneer Horizon set, you know, coming out of the in the next couple of years. And uh, you know, if I w- if I want to be involved on the the probe, you know, the competitive side of things, there's all the the. Alchemy changes on Arena. If, if we're ever playing
0: standard, yeah, I don't like that stuff either. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's just so much to keep up with, and it demands so. It's going to demand so much of my time, and to keep up with it. And if the rewards aren't there, you know, if I can't, you know, if if I'm not getting to the point where, you know, if it takes me thirty hours a week to stay sharp, at least, um, you know, just keeping up with the cards and knowing what's going on that is, you know, a, a part-time job and you're not really rewarding me in, the, in that aspect, um, you know, I'll probably just choose to, you know, either try to minimize, I'll, well, certainly choose to, choose to minimize the amount of standard and, and arena format magic that I play, uh, but I just will, you know, be at peace with not being as prepared for those kinds of events. Um, and uh, I, I think that's a shame because it, I think a lot of other people are going to be in that same boat and ultimately is going to diminish the quality of the tournaments and the coverage that you're doing at those tournaments. You know the quality of play will diminish and uh, you know that's only going to push magic further away from organized play I and mean, you know apparently that's what Watsi wants so that, like no no surprise that it's moving in that direction uh, but personally I find that unfortunate.
0: Uh, Carter A Kelly says is Pioneer back for real it seems like it yeah i absolutely think so like you're getting you're getting what was going to happen to pioneer had the world not stopped right after the format came out and kind of like shook you know it was out in paper for a little while but it never really got to have the exposure that it needed because it's it's a paper format because there's no real way to play it online besides MTGO and You know, if we had big events, it was going to be at all the big events. You're starting to see it at all the team events and stuff, too. I think Pioneer is back and in a big way.
1: Oh, yeah. It's been back. It is back. At this point, it's not going anywhere. So, you know, buckle up,
0: buckaroos. Mm, Yeah, for sure. Mr. Yaya asks, what pushes your decision to play a reactive or proactive deck? Assuming there are multiple top tier decks with roughly same power level. Does it change for big opens or qualifiers versus invitationals? Also, in similar vein, would you play a viable and familiar tier two over tier one of less prep? All right, let's answer the first part first. Okay, Ross, uh, what pushes your decision to play a reactive or proactive deck, assuming there are multiple top tier decks at the same power level? I think just familiarity. Like at the time, I used to always be very reactive. You could probably remember this. There was a time where I was like almost always reactive in the decks that I chose because I was just more comfortable with them. You know, I played a lot of control growing up. I was just more comfortable, that kind of thing. And I felt like I played better and it did better in the metagames that I was used to where almost everybody was being aggressive. Um, lately I've been tending more towards proactive because I think it's a better thing to be doing overall in magic.
1: Yeah. My default is to be proactive both because I think it is strategically more sound and I think I'm better at playing games from ahead than I am playing from behind. Um, So, you know, I want to be the person that is dictating the pace of the game and making my opponent have the answers rather than the other way around. Um, I would say, in general, I'm more likely to play reactive decks in narrower metagames. You know, easier to build my reactive deck and feel like I'm prepared for the most of the decks that I'm going to see if there aren't as many things to have to worry about. And narrow doesn't necessarily mean, you know, there's only two or three vi- other viable decks, though it can mean that, um, but in particular means like the styles of decks don't deviate that much. So if it's a metagame like the recent standard metagame that seemed very midrange heavy. That would be a metagame where I'm more inclined to play something reactive and controlling because those decks play very similarly. There's likely to be a lot of overlapping cards that I can play that are going to be good against you know Esper and Jund or uh, and the, the various decks that saw play there. You know, if I'm in a metagame where I know I have to play against a good mix of aggro, combo, mid range, and other control decks, I'm much less likely to want to play a reactive deck and have to figure out how to uh, economize my 75 slots to prepare for all of those different angles of attack.
0: Mm -hmm. Very good answer. Uh, Does it change for big opens versus qualifiers or invitationals? Yes, absolutely. For huge opens, I almost always went with something that, like, a, I knew I would play well, or B was like just inherently powerful, right? But when it got down to smaller tournaments like qualifiers or invitationals, things that are a little more homogenized in like they're just a smaller player base, if you could accurately predict what you think is gonna be like the the average decks played there, I definitely made some wilder or different deck choices because of the size of the event and the perceived metagame.
1: Yeah, easier to predict the smaller metagame, so easier to build your deck and be well-prepared, so you're more likely to play a reactive deck in a smaller tournament than a bigger one.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, also in a similar vein, would you play a viable or familiar Tier 2 deck over Tier 1 of less prep? Absolutely. If I was something that I was like, you know, very good with, I knew it inside and out, and then the Tier 1 deck is like complicated, for sure. Or just something I'm not familiar, like I'm not okay with, or don't really want to play. Because sometimes I just don't play deck because I don't like playing it. Like I do not have fun playing that style of deck. Then yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, same. Uh, I I value my preparation with the deck, you know, very highly. You know, um, that said, like I'll try to prepare with tier one decks, you know, so that I know them and I don't get myself into this situation. Uh, But if I am, uh, I'm more inclined to play the deck that I'm familiar with. Sure. Sure.
0: All right, uh, let's see here. What's next? We're back to. I'm going to go back to Discord for a little bit. Uh, this is from Catatonic Walrus, a very c- common commenter on our thing. L- long time listener, long time commenter. Uh, thoughts on the role of modern as an eternal format, uh, i.e., is modern the new legacy now from both a power level and cost perspective? Also, evaluation of the current ban list now that the power level has been retched, uh, uh, ratcheted up so much. All right, let's ask the first one. Is, you know, modern, the new legacy uh, as like the eternal format from power level and cost perspective. I actually, I think in my mind, this has just kind of happened over the last few years. The average modern deck is getting way more expensive, right? Um, I think that it is going to replace, I mean, it is physically replaced legacy in that seat of like team events now, most of the time. It's, like, you know, one of the three seats, and it is the older one. It has a little less staying power than Legacy does with, like, its core because of things like Modern Horizons happening every year and really shaking up the format, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Price-wise, it feels like it's getting there, right, Ross? Like, we're seeing 2K decks and, like, and more, depending on which versions of the cards you want to use. Like, if you look at the four-color decks and the Elementals decks, if you get, like, the, the crazy versions of those cards, those decks are probably worth more than my Legacy deck.
1: Uh, yeah, and and I think, um, you know, even with regular versions of the cards, I draw a lot of parallels between the current modern format and the way Legacy was in the early days of the SCG Tour. You know, 2011, 2012. Uh, you know, 2012 was the year when Terminus was printed and Miracles became a deck. Uh largely that year was dominated by uh Team Delver that played Stifle. Then they stopped playing Stifle, then they started playing it again when Terminus became a thing. Um and but they played Nimble Mongoose. There was Maverick, which was the deck that I played, that you know played Noble Hierarch and Knight of the Reliquary. <laughs> and uh and then there was the Esper uh Stoneblade deck that Tom Martell won GP Indianapolis with in February of 2012. Um and, you know, the, those decks were popular throughout the year. And then over the summer, the Miracles decks started becoming a thing. Um, the original versions of that deck were playing, like, Temporal Mastery, which was really bad. Um, <laughs> and uh, they eventually, you know, became Sensei's top control decks with four Terminus. Um, but that, you know, at that point, that was, like, right when dual land started getting really expensive. But they weren't, like multiple hundreds of dollars yet unless they yeah. were you know really really high condition What's... You know, like you could you could get the you know a teamer dollar deck in 2012 probably for like uh you know about the price of some of the more expensive modern decks these days like I, i'm i would guess something like 1500 to 2000 dollars and with you know your cards in medium condition and all, you know, generally the cheaper versions of things. And, um, you know, that's a lot of modern decks are in that range these days. And honestly, like, you know, like, obviously, you know, there's there's Will Days, Brainstorm, and Wasteland in Legacy. Like, those four cards are beyond anything that exists even in modern today. But there's also a lot of cards in modern today that weren't printed back then for Legacy that are really, really powerful and instead, you were playing, like, a lot of weaker cards. You were playing Nimble Mongoose. You know, The <laughs> just just looking at the Maverick deck from those days, you know, really only existed because the format wasn't as powerful. And in particular, like, Noble Hierarch was, gave you a significant mana advantage that, you know, was you know, uh, pretty good. Now you have Raghavan, you know. And before then, there was Deathritch Shaman that was, you know, super busted. So, um, there is just a the, you know a natural inflation that happens as cards get printed in non-rotating formats. So you know we're talking ten years from the you know era that I'm speaking about. You know ten years of cards makes up a significant amount of the gap uh, that you know uh, existed or that exists because of the cards that are in legacy but aren't in modern. So yeah, I, I just think in, in almost. all, Every way modern has just replaced legacy, and that's a natural evolution. You know, modern modern initially replaced extended, and now modern has, has replaced legacy because it's older, and we've got Pioneer to take my uh you know, that former place that was occupied by Modern and previously extended. Uh and in five years' time they'll probably make another format. Like you know, when they when they made type one and type two, you know, they didn't have extended. Then they had to make extended a, a few years later because there was too too much of a gap between type one and type two. And then, uh, you know, ex- extended was was a thing starting in what like two thousand, maybe something like that.
0: Something like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
1: a, and uh, um, you know, legacy wasn't became, around
0: for that long. The more I think about it,
1: yeah, legacy was a uh, actually a. a a community-driven format up until 2005 when it got official Watsi support. This is when the uh, the names... 2005 is actually when the names Vintage, Standard, Legacy, you know, and Extended uh, became codified. Before then, it was Type 2, Type 1, Type 1.5 was Legacy, and Type 1.X was Extended because it was rotating. Um, and uh, all Legacy was was take the Vintage Restricted list and ban those cards and, you know, play the rest of it. And they separated the ban lists between Vintage and Legacy in 2005. This is also when they allowed starter and portal cards to be tournament legal if they weren't before that time. Um, and I remember Grim Tutor, you know, skyrocketing in price. Um, and I won two of them that weekend at a Vintage tournament. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, this is a, like, if you look over Magic's history, like, this is a very natural course of events, so it may seem, you know, new to anyone who has, hasn't been playing Magic for that long. But for the two of us, like, this is just the way Magic goes. <laughs> Got to keep making more formats to fill the gaps. And, and I'm sure WotC is very, very happy to have uh, competitive formats that don't dip into the reserve, reserve list.
0: Uh, I do want to take a second in the middle of the episode right now to say uh, thank you for our sponsors. Make sure you check them out. Uh, the OG sponsor, Barrister and Man. Make sure you check out uh, them at man.com. That's man with two N's. Uh, Ross, I know recently we had some emails from them. They have some new items coming out that are going to be pretty sweet. I'm uh, pulling this up right now. Give me one second. It should be been a little bit better but uh they have some you know more than what we've talked about you know we talk about soaps and shaving and stuff there's also uh towels coming out i saw one of them i really actually want them pretty bad uh there's going to be new bar soaps and balms uh some new flavors coming out there's going to be fragrances beard oils bath soaps uh oh, they're making pop- more beard oils because, because i'm you know, running yes. out yeah i, I was about saying i i haven't talked about this
1: but mm-hmm. because they this, they sent me like a, a year or two ago a um you know a bottle of beard oil that was a, a sort of prototype a, and it didn't even have you know like a fancy label on it literally just has like almost a masking tape that just says sure. beard oil on it says it.
0: beard oil in yes. crude letters <laughs> yeah basically
1: um and it is really good you know i've been i've been using it ever ever since i got it and literally every time i i i don't use it that often uh, i'm not the kind of person that like oils every day uh i do it you know more for like special occasions You know, but literally every time I oil my beard, I someone compliments me. They're like, "Wow, you smell really good."
0: Yeah, every time. I think it's the biggest thing with their products is you're just going to smell good. Like, uh, like um, I notice it every single time I take a shower and I use my Bear and Man like soap or whatever that I come out and like not only does it feel different but like you can smell it and it smells good. Like I'm I'm just a big fan. So um, also the big announcement they're going to be shipping product to EU soon in the very near future. I know we have near future. Let me actually pronounce that word. So I know that we have a lot of listeners here that uh, that are across the pond. So if you're interested in getting some of this Barristern Man stuff, that's gonna happen really, really soon. So they're really busy, they're making a lot of moves. Ross, what's the code for Barristern Man? That is MTG Rants two zero two two For 15% off at the checkout, so make sure you check them out. And then we've also got our other sponsor, that's Mox Roasters. Make sure you check them out for all your artisan coffee needs and then anything coffee related. They've got it at their site. Very easy to find on there. Uh, Lots of really cool stuff. I'm a a bit partial to the Ugandan blend for everybody at home. It's got like this chocolatey taste to it, almost like hot chocolate. Love it. Uh, It's a very affordable way to get a better cup of coffee in your home. Very often. So definitely check it out. If you're a coffee drinker, this is definitely for you. Ross, what's the code for that one? That one is just MTG Rants. It's an all caps. All though. caps, yes. Yeah, and that gets you, I th- if I remember right, 10% off of everything on the site. So make sure you check them out. Huge fan of their stuff. All right, Ross, back to these questions. We're going to have some, a little more rapid fire in some of these. So let's try to speed these up just a tiny bit. But these are pretty cool. I like this question a lot from Chase. Describe your ideal taco. Um, uh,
1: Handmade corn tortilla. Um, uh, scrambled eggs with, uh, so it's, it's going to be Amiga's tacos. So scrambled eggs with like fried tortilla strips. I'm so hungry right now uh, (laughs) for a little texture. Um, then, uh, a little pico de gallo, maybe a little guacamole, some crumbled, uh, like a, a Mexican white crumbly cheese, like Cotija or queso fresco.
0: If you are going to have cheese, it has to be that. Like yeah. that's the only cheese I accept in tacos. And
1: like, and green Cholula. Okay, yours green, sounds amazing. Green Cholula, though. Yeah, yeah yours so it's, it sounds amazing. It's a, it's a breakfast amazing. taco, which are yeah. the best.
0: I agree that I completely agree that breakfast tacos are the best. Uh, I would need cho- I would need like scrambled eggs, chorizo in mine, preferably a vegan chorizo. I don't know if you have ever had them before. They're fucking amazing. I, yeah,
1: I, so I had a plant based chorizo uh, when I made the taco bar in April. Do you Do you have a Trader Joe's by you? No.
0: They have a they have a soy chorizo that is just mm, it's perfect. But Trader Joe's, I got
1: the I got this just from the Kroger and it was very good. And then it's I went similar. back to get it recently, and it's not there anymore. In fact, they got they used to have this at the end of the refrigerator case, yeah, next yeah. to the orange juice. They used to have a little section of plant based meats and cheeses and things, and it's just gone. So, I was so mad
0: yeah something along those lines uh, handmade tortilla must I'm more flour than corn myself it's just something to do with the texture I like better uh, and some form of potato in it I need potato and I need like a crunchy thing in my uh like in in my taco for texture and then maybe some form of salsa for normal uh just the the meat needs to be well seasoned and done well if you're if we're gonna do that but for me, it's the stuff other than that that really makes the taco. Like something you need to have like, you know, cilantro with like mango salsa or something like that. You need to have a bunch of veggies in. It. I want like I want like chopped and diced cilantro, tomato, uh, you know, bell pepper and like red onion and then mix it up with some lime juice. Put that shit on there. You don't even fucking need cheese. You got a perfect taco for you right there. Come to my house, I will blow you away with some tacos. Yeah,
1: I was gonna say there needs to be some cilantro over the top. I forgot that part.
0: Yeah, if unless yeah. you're one of those ten percent of people who can't eat it, then we'll, yeah, then you're unfortunate. And lime wedges
1: else. as a garnish also great. The, these were all things that were
0: on my taco bar ten. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, not the right, scrambled yeah. eggs. But, I remember looking at yours and approving. And so, yeah. did, so did so did my wife. So you yeah. had, you had it that was, representation it, as well.
1: The of all the things I've made for groups of people, that taco bar was the thing that that you know, went over the top and it was honestly one of the
0: easier things I've made. Oh, even it's though super, it was, Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It was, I made like 20 different things, but they were all so easy. The presentation makes it look like you tried really hard, which I like. I appreciate yeah. that.
1: Like I, you know, I, I was able to like do the beans the day before and the sweet potatoes while they were roasting the day of, I made like a bunch of the salsas um, and the, I pickled the, the onions and, and jalapenos the day before and then uh, Travis did the uh, he grilled the steak that that they added, and then it just took forever to, to make the tortillas. I need to get a uh, like a cast iron griddle, so I so I can griddle tortillas on that and make like eight at a time because I just had a skillet and I was doing one at a time, and it was yeah uh, it's too slow. Yeah, it was incredibly slow. So if, if I just had like one of those two burner cast iron skillets. Uh, that you just put, you know, you put over two burners uh, mm-hmm. and turn them both on it, it, I and I do, you know, even if that fits, that probably fits like four or six of them at a time or something <laughs> like that. Sure, sure. Uh, that would have been
0: great. Alright, Ross. This is from Brent Wagner. What is your magic take that would get you cancelled? Um, I mean, it used to be fetch lands are the
1: worst cards ever printed uh, in terms of the health of the game, but now that's like now that's a cold take.
0: That's like, yeah, that's yeah, like kind of accepted. But I, yeah. I've been saying it
1: for a decade. <laughs> Yeah. Um. I guess now I guess it is combo decks are good everyone hates combo decks so my my cancelable magic take is combo decks are great
0: yeah
1: and uh, like think... good for the health of metagames like
0: yeah I think that's what yeah that's a good thing that you added that little caveat because I think that's important to say I think I, I, I figured you meant that but we had to make sure everybody's at home for me maybe it's that um, winning at magic doesn't make you a role model that's also a cold take yeah it's a cold take but it's just like <laughs> All these people look up to a lot of people on Magic Twitter because they win at magic and they've like won point towards and a lot of these people are not good people. So like, yeah, whatever.
1: Also play playmats are mostly unnecessary and I wish we didn't have to use them all the time.
0: You say playmats? Yeah. yeah.
1: Remember yeah. remember back in the day when like if you used a playmat every looked at you like you were you the had weird four one. Heads. yeah.
0: You, yeah. Were, <laughs> you were the you were the sore thumb, Dude, you think it's bad in magic? It is like I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but like it is super prevalent in like everyone uses one in flesh and blood. And like you start the game out with cards in play. Like, you have your hero, their weapon, and their armor. And it's very popular if you're... Because, like, the armor can cost a lot of money. That they're just slabbed. Or they're put into, like, the really big protective cases. So, like, people come out there with, like... The, you know the deck boxes that are, like, huge? Yeah. They come out with those, and they, like, bring out all the slabs of... And I just have my, like, single-sleeved cards. There were like, <laughs> yeah. here, you, here you go. <laughs> like I, kind of stuff,
1: so. I once sat down for a match. Uh, pretty sure I didn't open and i wasn't using a playmat you know tables were fine somebody uh, offer you one and yeah my opponent was just like oh do you need a playmat because i've got an extra one or two in my bag and i was like no no dude i'll i'll be fine yeah um oh I've, I've got one more and it's that you should bring uh an amount of dice that is appropriate for your deck and all of the appropriate tokens and when I say appropriate tokens, I don't mean random Pokemon cards. I mean cards that actually say what the token is on them and make it clear what it is for everyone to see. Uh, you know? Okay, boomer. <laughs> that's that's not all. The boomers don't bring anything. They yeah, borrow no, paper.
0: I, I don't bring I don't bring shit. So it very <laughs> much it very right.
1: much angers me every time I've had to play a team event. My teammates use my dice and my paper throughout the entire event and i'm very i'm actually very persnickety about my dice because i hate i've i've and it was it was it was brandon actually and this was at a team event that we played it was the three of us and Brennan was just constantly taking my dice so i was like put those back Brennan. like you better put those back and then he just yeah. didn't because he literally took two and like left them in his deck box or like with his stuff so he'd have them yeah. you know and I was like I better get those back Brennan and I never did and it bothered me so much looking at an incomplete block of dice that I bought a new one
0: <laughs>
1: and I I still have that's that the one that Brennan ruined was the first one I had ever bought and this is the second think about how long I've had these yep. I've had two in my entire life
0: where is it in green
1: uh I can't remember. And every, and now, uh, you know, when I was playing the team event with uh, with Todd and um, uh, and Harlan, and that they're just like taking dice to to high roll, and they always, I don't know why, if you take dice to high roll them. No one ever thinks like, "Oh, I should give them back to the person." They literally just move them out at, at, to the f- nearest place that they can move them out of their way, and it's always on the other side of me. And I literally will just reach across and take my fucking dice back, you inconsiderate bastard.
0: Yeah, sure, sure, sure. No, no, I, I got it. I got it. All right, I'll leave your light. I'll leave your dice alone in the future. K-Fet you can borrow have... them. You can use them. Sure. Just make sure I get them back. Yeah, I'm responsible. Uh, K. says, uh, "What's the best ice cream flavor?"
1: It is butter pecan
0: that's a drastic take i like it <laughs> it's a
1: very boomer take mm-hmm. but in particular there's an ice cream shop here called blue cow uh they've often had stands at uh, scg cons they're very good but they do brown butter pecan
0: mm-hmm.
1: and brown butter is just I awesome. to try it and yeah br- I mean, they're they brown butter pecan i i didn't get it at all last summer and i'm gonna rectify that
0: yeah for I should, as much it's as actually I just have... getting
1: warm now maybe i should just get yeah. some today
0: Get some today. Yeah, <laughs> T- Treat yourself. Well, yeah, I used to like be able to walk of- there. It
1: was like, you know, it yeah. was like a half hour walk, but it was sure. worth it. I would right. take like a nice, I would actually Soul. take a, a scenic route along the yeah. Greenway. The, there's a little sort of park area that runs along the Roanoke River through the city. uh where like bike paths and things. And I would just, you know, uh, it runs right, it ran right by my old apartment. And I would walk down there, pop in some headphones and go for a nice like evening walk when it was getting cool in the summer. As like the sun was setting. And, you know, get there at like nine o'clock, get a, you know, a a dish of ice cream and eat it uh, there next to the river. And then uh, I would take the faster route back, uh, which would be about half an hour, but it was about 45 minutes to get there going the long way. So uh, it was, it was a nice little walk. And then I rewarded myself with ice cream. Mm
0: -hmm. What's what's uh, yours? Oh, I don't eat a lot of ice cream, obviously, uh, (laughs) you know, for reasons, Uh, but I usually, okay, so chocolate is the, the goat of all flavors, all, like forever, like from the fundamentalist point, but if I had to get like, you know, crazy, uh, I like one of the places makes a thing, it's called German chocolate cake, and it's like chocolate with a bunch of stuff in it, like they put coconut in it, they put like brownies in it, like walnuts, pecans, something like that, because I like... German I chocolate
1: like, has pecans, so this is a specific yeah, w- cake. W-
0: whatever it is, yeah, just all that stuff, that's that's my absolute favorite. Like If, if I ever get ice cream because I have to take something before I eat it, yeah. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, I can't just go buy ice cream for me. It's an, I have to like prepare to eat yeah. ice cream and stuff. So, uh, th- that's what it is.
1: Fun fact, Tannen, German chocolate cake is not German.
0: It's German's chocolate cake. Yes. Yeah, I know. Sam, it's the Sam, Sam German invented yeah, it. Guy named him, yeah. I think
1: he was from right. Texas.
0: Yeah, Mr. English 22 asks, if you could have any... I'm going to invert their words here because I think they put it backwards. If you have any animal as a pet, what would it be and why is it hippos? I, I'll tell you this now. It, it wouldn't be hippos because they are extremely violent and eat people. But
1: yeah, they're among the most dangerous animals in the world. Um, they're very territorial.
0: I, yeah, I think issue. I would have like... If, if you're, you know, hey, you're not going to get hurt, like maybe one of the bigger cats... You know what I'm talking about, like the
1: like a like a lynx or a like ocelot. a
0: leopard or something. Yeah, one of those. Those There's those a, seem cool. As it shit. was Dolly
1: that had an ocelot, right? I, yeah, I think something had, like that. Dolly would walk um, his his pet ocelot through yeah, but Spain. I just
0: like I just like dogs, man. Like maybe a wolf. <laughs> like you know, like I, dogs are awesome. I'm a
1: big I'm a big fan of pigs. I would have a pig. Nice.
0: I could pig movie with Ross Merriam instead of uh, what's his name Nicholas Cage when. Um, let's get let's, let's try to get through all this so let's speed up a little bit because i actually have some stuff i need to do lee mcleod uh shout out to lee uh do y'all think standard should continue to exist outside of arena uh yes i actually do
1: uh, yeah i th- i yeah i just think they should try to make the format good for the first time in like eight years like they've they did it for pretty consistently for many years i think that the issue now is that and this is speculation um, I don't have any inside information, but it seems to me like they haven't really hired like additional staff as they have increased the amount of product they're pushing out. So their staff so is probably or... stretched very thin, and they've said, you know what, we don't care as much about competitive play. We're not going to put as much as many resources into play testing these cards and making sure all our metagames are balanced. We're just going to ban things more often, and that'll be okay. We're going to make more money by just pushing out more supplemental products uh, in addition to our base sets, so uh, th- that to me is the reason why, you know, we've seen a lot of misses in recent years, and it's, um, you know, uh, unfortunate, but yeah, standard should exist, you know, the fact, like, the, the only, it, it still technically exists right now, it just, like, doesn't de facto exist because people don't want to play it, but if the format was good, like, people would probably
0: play it. Oh, 100%. All right, speaking of the ban list... Uh, the next question, sorry I lost my place, give me one second, and the next question was from Fuzzy Dan. I want to make sure I got the name right. Any cards on the Modern ban list that would be okay in Pioneer? Uh, like, there's some random ones that I think would be okay, like Blazing Shoal comes into my mind, would probably be okay, you know, because there's no, like, Infect Creature thing going on, um, you know, just, like, some of the random shit, like, would Hypergenesis be okay? Like. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you have no cascade cards, so, like, who cares? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Some of the cards that are banned for, like, the weird reasons, not from, like, pure power level standpoint. You get what I'm saying? Like, you know, I thought about it. I was like, would Pod be okay? And I'm like, it might not, actually. Like, yeah, there, I, that was no the problem. first
1: one that came to my mind. And
0: I was like, it might be, it might not. I don't really want to find but, out. Like, Splinter Twin? Because, like, are there the. the Are there good enough, like, blue quick ones, like, that are have flash? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. There's. Yeah. I'd have to sit down and, and relook look through, but yeah, I definitely think there's a number of cards that are fine on the modern list to be to be okay in Pioneer. But, but that
1: feels like against the spirit of the question. I think the spirit of the question is like, is there a card that is really powerful in Modern that might not be as powerful in Pioneer for like yeah, non-trivial yeah. reasons? Um, um But I'm not sure if there is one, but there's certainly a bunch for, for those reasons where like, you know, the cards that they combo with just don't exist.
0: The artifact lands? Yeah, like that's again the same thing, right? I mean, those would
1: be like really good in uh, like the sacrifice decks now, right? True,
0: yeah, yeah, they would be actually really good, yeah. No, you're right. Like, um, I'm trying to think maybe maybe not
1: busted because you don't have like actual affinity cards, but they would definitely be good, they would see play.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm gonna pull up the modern ban list real quick because I'm always surprised by like one or two cards that I forgot.
1: It's like Darksteel Citadel and and, uh Treasure Vault see play as just colorless artifact rants, so the colored ones definitely
0: would. Um. All right. Would Arkham's Astrolabe be okay? Um. Yeah, like
1: you can't fetch snow basics, so they... bridge from bridge from below. Yeah,
0: obviously. I think Chromox is a no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that one, that one might be the last one you would unban for Pioneer. <laughs> uh, I mean, Deathrite Shaman's legal in Pioneer. Dig through time, Treasure Cruise, all these are legal. Eye of Ugin, um, like look through Faithless Looting, is uh, would be an interesting one. Faithless like, like looting that would make, make Phoenix too good. Maybe. Yeah, with
1: with Phoenix and Grease Fang, I would not want to touch Faithless Looting and Or no, Grease Fang's not in Pioneer. I
0: right? would be it, Or at least Grease uh, Fang
1: is, but the thing at combo wait. Yeah, yeah, Grease Fang yeah, is Grease Pioneer. Fang is in
0: Pioneer. Um I would be interested in a conversation about Field of the Dead with how fast the format is now, but probably not I'm not sure. It, it, that card's miserable. Yeah, it's miserable and it, it just does bad things, even like I'm just, like, going through some more of the stuff that's not, like, obvious. Like, you know, there's, like, Hogak and uh, Ironworks, you know, KCI, and some stuff like that. Micas um, yeah, Mica Lattice, that one's probably not... not yeah, that's I another guess Car- that's like, a fringe... That's a fringe thing, I guess right? Karn, Karn exists, so, yeah, we Karn definitely don't want Lattice. To, uh, 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 punishing Fire, like, you know, this card that just couldn't exist because, yeah. like... Mystic yeah. Sanctuary is legal already. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's formats where I think Jitte would be okay, but yeah i just don't think
1: like GTA is actually the interesting one right because this is a card that like you know probably would see play you know is a powerful card and like doesn't need specific cards to combo with it it's just like you know good in creature decks but how good is this card gonna be like what you don't even see a lot of one toughness creatures in pioneer like all the good red one drops are the two toughness uh ones with prowess i actually think GTA would be fine and i think it's laughable that it's still banned in modern. Like i think you could i think you could have unbanned it 5 years ago.
0: Yeah, you and i talked about this quite a bit. Uh asked, how much does greatness cost? Uh and the answer is any. It's any cost is is greatness. But to be to be a little more serious with a quick answer, it costs everything. Literal everything.
1: Yeah. Too much is my answer. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it costs too much. <laughs> uh <laughs> Someone asked Ross, or they—I'm just gonna say Ross—they didn't literally ask you a flack. Ask, what's the perfect date?
1: Um, April twenty-third. You know, it's not too warm. It's not too cold.
0: Uh, are you doing the meme? Yeah, I—I I hope I'm. I think up close. I'm not sure if I have it dead on. It's—it's—it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's April twenty-fifth because it's not too hot and it's not too. Oh, cold. I said twenty-third. See, I, but, I said it. A... All you need is a light jacket, Ross. Yeah. So hopefully that was the answer you were looking for, uh, f- Flackle. So hopefully we got that right and in, in, in time, because uh, I definitely love that meme. It's really great. It's uh, I'm not going to explain it to anybody at home. You can look it up if you want to look it up. But uh, <laughs> sorry, Ross. You were so close. <laughs> uh, all right. I think that's going to be it. That looks like it's it for the questions this week. But hold on. Actually, that's not going to be it. I think we actually had a mailbag question. Let me make sure we get that done, too. Oh, it looks like we have two. Okay. The first one is from uh, Revan Christ. Here are a few questions. So we'll go through this piece by piece, Ross. Okay. What is your go-to basic land for each type? Uh,
1: Planes. The Thundercloud Planes from Odyssey. Um, island. The, um, um,
0: Do you want me to give you a second? I can say my answer.
1: The, I really like the, uh, oh no, the, the portal islands that I have. I can't really mm-hmm. describe Those it. But there's a certain portal yeah. island. Um uh I actually like your islands. Uh the John Avon Invasion Forest. Um there's a uh mountain. Uh there's an Odyssey mountain, the sort of greenish Odyssey mountain. Yeah, uh, um, I know which one you're talking about, yeah. And is really good. Um and Swamp? I don't play with a lot of swamps. Oh, there's a mirage swamp I really like. That's uh, sort of uh, yellow tinted, like um, from a sun. Um, mm-hmm. That that mirage swamp. I'll, I'll go with those. Sure.
0: Uh, mine is very easy. Beta. All right. Uh, <laughs> I do play a lot. Of, <laughs> I play a lot
1: of beta basics as well. Yeah.
0: If you could add a single card from pre-pioneer into pioneer, what would it be? We get this question a lot.
1: Um. It's so hard. I, I wish yeah. I just had a canned answer ready whenever we get yeah, same. this. But same. Um, what would be a really good hey, let's, one? Let's come back to that. One. Let's come back know. to one
0: I think about it. Uh, what is the biggest misplay an opponent has ever made against you? It could be, um, like, situational, too, you know, because it was in a big spot. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, I have a good answer for this one. So, this was around 15 of GP New Jersey in 2014. Um we were 12 and 2 so playing for um you know the qualification for a pro tour uh this was a 4000 person grand prix we were not playing for top 8 i won this match and i finished 12th <laughs> and uh but uh i was not queued for any pro tours at this point um and i uh and i was playing elves at this grand prix Keep in mind, this is right after Treasure Cruise was printed. This is, like, the the GB that cemented Treasure Cruise as dominant in Legacy. Um, uh, BBD1 playing Jeskai. uh,
0: Yeah, I played in this event, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, but I I didn't want to, like, immediately pick up a Delver deck and Cruise and be behind everybody, and I tried out some other, other combo decks that I knew, like Sneak and Show, and they weren't good, because that deck hasn't been good in a decade. Um... And so I was like, I guess I'll just play Elves. This is the deck I know. i have been playing it all year. And I, you know, just beat a bunch of Treasure Cruises with my Deathrite Shamans and my Wirewood Symbiotes. And I, I'm 12-2, and my opponent is playing Death and Taxes. And I know everyone talks about how good the matchup is for Elves against Death and Taxes. I always thought that was overstated. I might be biased because I always seem to lose the matchup. Obviously, I lost it to Dave Shields. That happened earlier this year. So, when I'm telling you that, like, that was June of 2014. Over that summer, I also lost to Death and Taxes late in the Swiss of Legacy Champs to take my second loss. Um, So, I'd had some losses to the deck, but I thought good Death and Taxes pilots, like, you know, if you knew what you were doing, mulliganed aggressively, and had the right hands, like, you you could put up a a fair fight. It was just that most Death and Taxes pilots, like, just sort of gave up as soon as they saw you playing elves and, like, didn't really try that hard, and, and that made it a lot easier. But obviously, like, 13-2 to Grand Prix, my opponent's probably pretty good. Um, and I win game one, and game two, my opponent is doing a very good job of restricting my mana. Um, and I'm, I'm always, like, one mana short of having a good glimpse turn. And every turn I'm setting up, I'm like, okay, next turn, I just need, like, one turn off from you interacting with me. And they had, like, I kept having, like, the Plow, Phyrexian Revoker, all these little things to keep me off of a little bit of mana. Uh, and keep me just short and on, uh, it looks like my opponent is turning the game around, and they go to their end step and vial in a Flicker Wisp. And they've got a couple options on what to do with this Flicker Wisp. They could, you know, flicker out one of my lands, they can flicker out one of my creatures, they can flicker out one of their things to reset it. And obviously if they wanted to reset one of their things, they would have done it on their main phase, but they kept thinking that through this turn, and, you know, thinking about all, all of their options, and they eventually decided that they did want to reset their Phyrexian Revoker, but they forgot that they had waited to their end step to do this. So they targeted their Phyrexian Revoker, I let it happen, and then untapped and easily killed them, because they just basically killed their own Phyrexian Revoker for a turn, and that, like, you know, that was all I needed, uh, was to have that open up. So, uh, obviously, like, a pretty big punt from them in a pretty big spot, um, but for me you know that got me to 132 cubed me for a pro tour got me some pro points that was my be- that was the start of my best season on the pro tour where i was narrowly short of gold despite only playing two pro tours um, you know i 10 6 the pro tour there that i qualified for hit silver after top eighting um, a gp in cleveland that march um, which unfortunately all, well, i didn't hit i wasn't going to hit silver until i played a uh, uh, that played the pro tour, so I like didn't get to use the silver invite that season, which probably would have had me hit gold as long as I didn't like scrub the a third pro tour, uh, which was unfortunate. But I also like didn't didn't know that because I took second at a GP right before the last pro tour, uh, so maybe I could have tried harder to play some more grand prix that season. But now I'm digressing. Um, but yeah, that, you
0: you have been for minutes, Ross. I was actually about to say something here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't have a specific one that like really pops into mind. The first one that popped in was. The open that I topated with, like, the, the Mono Blue Shitters deck or whatever, like, one of my Esper opponents, like, I could never beat a Wrath, so I didn't play around it, but I had a Spell pierce in my hand, and they had five mana, and they untapped and just, like, played Wrath for, like, four mana Katar- Kaya's Wrath or whatever it was. Yeah. And I Spell Pierced it, and, like, they were gonna die to, like, me attacking them again the next turn, and I see them just, like, hesitate, look at their hand and whatever, and they just, like, played another land where they could have, like, paid... Yeah. skull pierce, they just, player like, on the pierce. yeah this and like, later they were like you know pretty upset with themselves it was like dude i've I, everyone's done this i've done this it's it's like it's cool like try to try to try to move past it <laughs> or whatever and then like yeah i don't know if i would have top eight of that event if i didn't win that game so uh I, I mean like you know that's it's all different stuff so you know whatever but uh we did have one more question from maddie j it says glad beating got some good news thanks maddie j appreciate that what do I do with the green white section of my cube? Modern power level but with cards from all of Magic history. Have you ever drafted a green white deck and cube you were happy with or had fun with? Yeah, I think so. Um, what you can do for the green white section is like you can try to decide like maybe you want it to be like hate bearish that or you want it to be like really good like toolboxy uh, like most of the green white decks that I've liked are like green white but with blue like bant or if if they're not the uh, like the green white hate bears, it's it's like Banty with like a lot of come into play abilities that do stuff like you know think of like uh, what is it, Night of Autumn, you know, or Knight of Reliquary, like a lot of it has a lot of utility, and that's what I think they need to have in a cube.
1: So you want to like Ephemerate Restoration Angel, that kind of thing. Yes, uh, yes. that makes sense exactly. to me. I don't really draft green white decks, so I'm not going to be much help here, but that makes sense to me. Those are things that can be powerful and versatile, and th- and that's important.
0: Yeah, because, like, against the control decks in cube or the decks that are going longer, you've got value to keep up, and then against the aggro decks, you just, like, blink a night of autumn and you've gained eight life and they have a hard time winning or whatever, you know, like, that that kind of stuff. Something that gives you, like, some versatility because those cards inherently aren't powerful enough on their own to carry you in cube if you have card power throughout, you know, the history of modern or something like that. So that's where I like going. But I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening oh, to our. Hold on, I've, episode. Got an, I've got go an answer
1: for the modern card that I can put into Pioneer. Sure, sure. It's, it's a, it's, i it's a bit of a of a stretch. Okay, it's a powerful card. Sure. Esper Sentinel. I like it. Like, what, white, I like it. Like white human aggro and um, you know the Azorius and Soul Deck. Those are both like fringe archetypes in Pioneer right now, and I like them both. So why don't we give them a little bit of a boost? and uh, tell the control decks to go fuck themselves
0: no i like it yeah uh yeah the white aggro decks definitely need some better creatures and incentivize that incentivize you to play just white so definitely agree with you there but thanks for listening to this week's episode It was a lot of fun doing this mailbag episode i feel like we should do this more often these lead to some of my favorite episodes so uh like doing something a little out of the norm but thanks everybody for listening at home we love each and every one of y'all and we'll see y'all next week